Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of the Bleed Lost Podcast. This week's podcast is brought to you by our good friends at BleedLost.com. BleedLost.com is a fan apparel website that is ran by Dodger fans just like you. Now, they just dropped a shirt, the Club Ravine shirt, super clean, got that 80s vibe. John Hartung talked about that. Uh, you can pick that up there. You can also pick up the Theo Alberto shirt uh, in, in homage to one Albert Pujols. Solid shirts. And uh, my favorite, the uh, the Joe F. And Kelly shirt and also the Joe Kelly Fight Club shirt. I am a star supporter of Mr. Kelly, and I like those shirts, so I bought them. So if you want to own some shirts like that, and you also maybe want to save some money, but you're also a dedicated listener to this year podcast, well, you can do all of that. So if you go to bleedloss.com, add whatever you want to your cart, and uh, upon checkout, if you use the promo code BLEEDLOSSPOD, all one word, you will save up to 10% on your purchase. As always, terms and conditions do apply. Please see Bleed Loss's website for more details. Again, bleedloss.com. This week, regular season finale episode predictions, kind of a recap of the season, but we didn't do it by ourselves. We had a special guest join us. We had Sarah Langs of MLB.com join us today. We talk about the Dodgers. We talk about the wild card. We talk about disappointments in uh, in different teams. We talk about the overall playoff picture, and also she makes a World Series prediction. So check it out. Sarah Langs from MLB.com. Hey fans, this is Todd Lights, public address announcer for your world champion Los Angeles Dodgers, and you are listening to the Bleed Lows Podcast with your hosts Alonso and Juan, with the babyface gimmick in the sky, Roger. And this week, well, this week is, is the week of game 162. Literally, the, it's, it's, it's Christmas, essentially, for baseball. And uh, we, had, we had to bring someone on to help us walk through what is the chaos that's ensuing, and that someone is Sarah Langs. Sarah Langs of MLB.com. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you guys so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for joining us on a, on a super busy day. So let's just dive right into it. Uh, the chaos that is beginning also begins with the Dodgers doing what they did and the Giants doing what they did, which is losing to the Padres. Who do you, what's just, just if you just were to throw it out there and see what sticks to the wall, what do you think happens with that situation? You know, the Giants had won, what, seven in a row. They finally lost a game. I know that uh, I follow some Giants fans on Twitter, or Dodgers fans on Twitter. I know I'm speaking with some Dodgers fans here. And, uh, you know, I think that there's definitely some panic on the Giants side amongst the fans. I don't think amongst the team at all. Um, but I think the Giants probably win today. I mean, we've seen how the Padres have played lately. Pretty much the only team they have beaten is the Giants, but it just seems that, you know, Logan Webb out there on the mound, he's been really good for the Giants, stumbled a little bit lately, but he's been good. And I just think probably both teams win today. And if that happens, of course, the Giants win the division. But how much fun would it be to see this these teams playing a winner-take-all game on Monday for the division or wildcard spot? I'm all for chaos. So I'm hoping that chaos ensues because that's what makes sports sports. Um 
but I do agree with you. I actually think the Giants win and the Dodgers win, and we're still in the same situation. So it doesn't vary. But what I am curious, though, is if there is a game of 63, and that's a big if at this point, if you're the if you're the Dodgers, who do you set out there to throw and start that game? It's interesting. I mean, I think you have to, you know, I mean, you're obviously you're thinking about Scherzer, you think about Bueller, and you know, we were having these conversations this week of okay, if the Dodgers are in the wild card game, does Scherzer start that game? He stumbled a bit lately. Do you have Bueller starting instead? I I still think that it might be worth saving Max Scherzer for that wild card game if you're going to get there. And I only say that because this team has three outstanding stars. Urias pitched last night. He's obviously not going to pitch on Monday. But the fact that you can trot out Walker Bueller there just puts you in a different situation than another team. You know, a team like the Cardinals, for instance, where there's a pretty big separation between Adam Wainwright and everybody else, you know. And obviously they're not going to have to play a 163. But I think maybe that's where you go. Bueller, who's been a great postseason pitcher for them. I mean, that's kind of how he first got the notoriety that he has so rightfully gotten at this point was back in that 2018 World Series, you know, and starting that game that went 18 innings and all that he did in that postseason. So I think I might do that, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it comes to that, if the Dodgers did the reverse and went with Scherzer and saved Bueller for the wild card game instead. Uh, Sarah, it's Juan. Uh, the Kershaw injury, uh, I think is not only for sentimental reasons, but I, I think it throws a huge wrench in the Dodgers postseason uh, plans Primarily because, honestly, I don't know how the Dodgers approach today. If Do you throw Bueller today? Because let's say you throw Bueller and everything goes crazy. The Giants lose, the Dodgers win. Then I think you have to throw Scherzer in game 163. And let's say you'd lose game 163. Then what are you going to do on the wild card game? Do you, do you bring Urias back on short rest? Do you throw Gonsolin? I... You know, for me, I think the Dodgers are at a disadvantage if they try to win the division. And I know this is sacrilegious. And I know our producer, Babyface, right now is going crazy hearing me say, what do you mean you don't go to try to win the division? I just feel right now, you know, Bueller did look good in his last start. But as you mentioned earlier, is against the Padres, who have been struggling. Scherzer's last two starts have not looked very well. I, I am concerned about the starting pitching going in there. And mind you, even if they go into the wild card against a Cardinals team that historically has gotten, has had their number. I mean, what did the Dodgers do today in game 162? I think this team is too good to be making a desperation move like that today. You know, going to Bueller in this game when, first of all, you're into the postseason regardless. As you're saying, worst case scenario, you're playing in the wild card game. I know that the Cardinals have historically had their number, but this is a significantly better team than the Cardinals. And of course, you never know what's going to happen in one game. But I do think I have faith in how wildcard games have gone that typically the better team is going to win there. So I, I think going to Bueller in this situation just feels a lot more like something we would expect out of one of those American League teams where they're fighting for their lives and they might be getting eliminated otherwise. And as you're saying, everything you're outlining with Urias coming back on short rest potentially and everything else, I just think this team is too good to have to make moves like that. And I do think that 
as you're saying, Kershaw is definitely a wrench in everything and it takes away a bit from that depth that they have had, but I still think they have enough really good pitchers that play today as normal play on Monday if you need to, and just be set up to use Bueller and Scherzer as those pitchers on normal rest. And when you need to, um, as opposed to going back to Julio on short rest. So I just need you to keep telling me the same thing, Sarah, because (laughs) I being a Dodger fan, I guess, and just too close to the situation, but everyone that I talk to who can be objective, who maybe hasn't grown up as a Dodger fan is fairly confident that the Dodgers can beat the Cardinals. However, Dodger fan is having a meltdown that we're going to have to face the Cardinals. Is it, I mean, it's a one game situation. What makes you so confident that the Dodgers can beat the Cardinals? You know, it's just, this is such a great team. And I understand that's how fandom works. That's why fandom is amazing. This is why we love these sports is because, you know, this is how fans approach it. But ultimately, I know the Cardinals looked unbeatable for literally 17 straight games. And, you know, then they lost a game and then they won the next one. But Ultimately, that is a team where the offense was dormant for a lot of the year and the pitching other than Wainwright has not been outstanding. Their bullpen set a record for bases loaded walks this year. I mean, there's just a lot of holes in that team overall. And even during the win streak, that bullpen was struggling a lot. And I just think that especially in a game one in a wildcard game, excuse me, where all of those moments matter so much. You hope that Adam, if you're a Cardinals fan, if you're the Cardinals, you hope that I'm Wright comes out and throws a shutout. But if he doesn't and you have to go into that bullpen, Alex Reyes, Giovanni Gallegos, these guys have struggled at times. And I just think that when you look across the roster up and down, the Dodgers are a significantly better team. So I, you know, you never know what is going to happen, but especially if it's Max Scherzer, I would never pick against Max Scherzer in a moment like that. And don't forget that when he was on the nationals in 2019, he was pitching, he started that game against the Brewers in the wildcard game and he didn't look great. And I feel like that's on his mind. I feel like he needs to absolve that and get past that. And again, you guys have seen even just in about two months on your team that Max Scherzer fired up is one of the most incredible things in baseball. And you just can't pick against that. Thank you, Sarah. I feel much better. And I will not hold you responsible if the Dodgers lose. I will not tweet at you and say, but Sarah, you said the Dodgers were going to win. Someone will tweet that at me. So I appreciate that you won't be the person doing it. Well, and, and, and to your point, speaking of those 2019 nationals, there's been that debate uh, going around that this Dodgers team may be the best wildcard team in wildcard you know, history or what have you. I, I tend to disagree just because you still have, you know, the 2005 White Sox, the, the inaugural wildcard team the, from the National League, the 1995 Braves, uh, even like the 99 Yankees, even though they didn't win 100 games. Uh, what, what say you to that debate when you kind of hear that thrown out there, Sarah? I mean, I, I do think it's a kind of different consideration now with the two wild cards. The fact that I, I think the main reason that people are having that conversation is because those previous wild card teams, the ones you made reference to, got a full series no matter what, right? So I think this is absolutely the best team that has a chance to get eliminated in one game in the postseason. Um, there have definitely been some other great wildcard teams, as you mentioned, but 
I mean, the wins total is just insane. I'm staring at the standings as I'm talking to you guys. And it is just crazy to see two teams with 105 plus wins. It's the first time that there have been two teams win winning at least 105 games in the same league let alone in the same division. We've only had three seasons in MLB history where two teams won 105 games, but the other two times it was one AL team, one NL team. And here we have two National League teams and they're in the same division. I mean, I just don't think it can be overstated in the fact that there is a possibility that one of these teams goes home after Wednesday it is just crazy, you know? Um, but I, I think it's a great opportunity for that team to just show how great they are again to that point that I think that whichever team is in that wildcard game would win it. But I, this is just impossible to put into perspective in some ways, because it's just the first time ever for so many things. Well, and with that, a lot of people, especially Dodger fans kind of were saying that, that the giants aren't legit. So for those, uh, as you know, baseball is a little more regional. Got the blackout thing too. Tell uh, tell our listeners why the Giants are so legit and why we're in this situation right now. The Giants have built a team that, in my mind, mimics a lot of how the Dodgers and how the Rays have been so good for the last handful of years. You know, I really trace a lot of what the Dodgers have done, what Andrew Friedman has done, to the way that the Rays approach the game. And you could say that what Friedman has done is the raids, but with money, with the ability to sign free agents as, as he chooses. And I think that the Giants started with that kind of mentality. That's what we've seen Farhan Zaidi bring in terms of really building depth. I think that the most interesting thing about the Giants this year is that they haven't really had any bad players. I know that sounds kind of silly, but every player is there for a reason, whether it's he just hits lefties, he just hits righties. He does one thing really well. Every single player has a very intentional reason that they are there. And that's not to say that other teams don't build their rosters intentionally, but there are just such specific moments where you know that a certain guy is built for that moment. And they've just gotten outstanding performances. I mean, Buster Posey and Brandon Crawford at age 34 having amazing seasons. Crawford having the best season of his career at age 34, which is practically unheard of. And Posey, after not playing last year due to COVID concerns and having surgery the year before, coming back fully healthy, fully rested. And this, again, kind of gets to the way the Giants have managed the team which is that they had very specific off days. These guys knew they were very well coached in terms of knowing when they would be rested. And I think that Posey has played maybe a little bit less frequently than you might've expected entering the year. And that was all to keep him healthy and all of that really worked. So, I mean, they're a really fun team to watch. I know you guys are Dodgers fans. I'm not trying to uh, rock the boat there, but you know, Lamont Wade Jr. Gets a million hits in the ninth inning or later. And, you know, Giants fans probably didn't know who he was entering the year. So I think that a lot of that probably sounds similar to you guys. Uh, to what you've seen the Dodgers do, you know, the Chris Taylors, the Max Muncy's and kind of building those guys up like that. Much to the chagrin of my, uh, my co-host and our producer, uh, Roger, I have been saying the giants are legit from day one. <laughs> then they kind of were like, no, no. say like, okay. All right, man, whatever. And here we are. So it's, it's, and, but again, I, I think it t- kind of took everyone by surprise, but before we, we go look at the rest of the playoff picture, I, I did have one question for you. Out of out of all all of the teams in baseball, all of them, who do you think was the biggest disappointment this year as we kind of en- enter Game One Sixty Two and into the postseason? 
I think it's really hard to say anybody other than the Padres. I mean, with all of that hype that we saw entering the year, everyone was expecting, I think most people were expecting that we could be talking about the Padres and Dodgers here entering game 162, each with 100 plus wins. I mean, I think there were some concerns that maybe the Padres wouldn't be quite on that Dodger level, but everybody expected it to be close between those two. And, you know, ultimately finishing below 500, they were leading the majors and winning percentage as late as May 30th. And here they are finishing below 500. And I just think the expectations were through the roof and they have such talent. I mean, Fernando Tatis Jr. I know he had a lot of home runs at Dodger stadium this year, including that one that left the park the other night, but he's so much fun to watch. And Manny Machado, really fun to watch. And, you know, you Darvish, great pitcher, but unfortunately it just didn't come together for them. I mean, I think some people might say the Mets, they had similar types of expectations, but early in the year, I think it was clear the Mets weren't all that good. I mean, they were kind of in first place in their division because nobody else in their division was good. Whereas the Padres looked good and looked legit through at least those first two months. So I I think it has to be them. And that's fair. Uh, I have a saying that I, that I've thrown up uh, around with these guys. The Mets are going to met, and that's <laughs> that's why that's why we're in this situation. But uh, but as as we kind of look around, Juan, to add to the chaos, do you know who's behind the dish in New York today at the at Yankee Stadium? That is, uh, Joe West. Ooh, Juan Angel Hernandez. So oh. cha- <laughs> cha- <laughs> so chaos is going to ensue even even on the uh, in, in the East Coast today. As far as uh, the American League, is it fair to say that Tampa is the the clear favorite or would you say the White Sox are? I think it's probably Tampa. I mean, the White Sox, the White Sox really stumbled over these last, you know, two months. And of course, it didn't quite matter because they had the division locked up and a lot of it was injury related. And it's still better than how they looked. I think the final week of the year last year, they lost like pretty much every game. I know it was a shortened season, but they entered the postseason in a really bad, bad spot last year. It's, it's been better this year, but I think the Rays are probably a more complete team. And I say that because Carlos Radon came back the other day and he was throwing about 92. And it, it seems like there are some pitching questions on the White Sox side, but you know, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, I, I think the Astros are getting kind of underrated. They actually have the best offense in baseball. If you look by weighted runs, created plus, and their biggest weakness was their bullpen. And they really fixed that at the trade deadline. It's been pretty good for them in the second half. So I think that series is going to be interesting. I think I still have the White Sox coming out of it, but I do think the Astros have gone from a team that we heard about all the time for a number of reasons to a team that we've practically not talked about here in these last few months. And honestly, most of the season. Sarah, I'm still not done with the Dodgers. Um, <laughs> so, you know, they're one game out today and every Dodger fan out here is going to point out to that Darren Ruff miscall call check swing as being the difference as to why the Dodgers are going to lose the division this year. I, on the other hand, feel the biggest difference was they lost 15 out of 20 earlier in the year. All the time we always hear, oh, there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time. And it seems that the games towards the end of the season count more than the games in April. And obviously, I can't think of a better example than this year that that it's BS. If the Dodgers would have gone at least 500 in that stretch in April instead of losing 15 out of 20, 
the Dodgers would be leading this division. At this point, if this, whoever gets eliminated in this one, if the Giants or the Dodgers, if a, a team that's won more than 100 games gets eliminated, are we going to have a change to the playoff format next year? Because if the Dodgers do end up in the wild card or the Giants end up in the wild card and they get past them in the first, in the divisional series, we're going to have two 100 win teams playing each other. And one of those teams is going to get eliminated early in the playoffs. Are we going to see a change to this playoff format anytime soon? It's an interesting question. I mean, I think there's been a lot of discussion. There's been a lot of discussion all year, um, just people sort of different reports about what might happen with the CBA. And of course, just being on Twitter a little bit this morning before I, I came on to chat with you guys, it seems like it's uh, really running wild today for that reason. It, it seems like there may be some sort of change. I, I don't have any info. I'm not reporting anything, nothing like that. But it does seem like the playoff format is going to be one of the topics of discussion in the upcoming CBA. So I do think we'll see some sort of change. You know, I, I would like to see something that maybe emphasizes winning the division a little bit more. You know, I, I know that there have been some people talking about, you know, kind of going NBA style and just doing by wins or, uh, or by win percentage. I think that could be interesting as well but I think divisions and you know the strength of the divisions and the history with them is kind of unique to baseball I, I really associate that uh, more with baseball than any other sport so I would like to see that preserved in some way but it does seem like the 2022 playoffs will look different whether it's more teams or a different sort of format something like that but I want to say if there's one moment I'm thinking of the Mike Talkman catch on Albert Pools, where he would have set the record for walk-off home runs in a career, right? And that moment, you know, as opposed to a missed call and, you know, to take a little bit off the umpires. But when I think of one moment that could have changed this division, I think of that. So going into the playoffs, I, I mean, again, I appreciate you coming on the show and trying to convince me that things are looking good for the Dodgers. I, I'm one of those just odious fans who complains about a team that's going to win almost 106 games and say that my team sucks. They're horrible and, and stuff like that. But going into the playoffs, I'm very concerned about this team. Cody Bellinger is not Cody Bellinger. I think the reason why Cody Bellinger isn't playing well is because he's not healthy. Chris Taylor is not healthy. I, I feel you have, Players on the team that aren't healthy or that are slumping. Yeah, last year was a perfect example. They were down 3-1 to Atlanta. Everything changed, and they ended up winning the World Series. But what do you see are the major issues of concerns for the Dodgers going into the postseason? I, I definitely think that Cody Bellinger is a question. I mean, you know, there were conversations as recently as a few weeks ago about whether he might even be on the NLDS roster, you know, if they do get in, whether they win the division or they uh, win the wild card game. And, you know, I think ultimately he probably will be there, but, you know, not a great season. And of course, Mookie Betts has not been quite Mookie Betts, but I, I do think that Mookie has the ability to just become that postseason hero at any point. And so I would really put a lot of stock into that. But I think there are a lot of reasons to be optimistic. I think Will Smith has had an outstanding season and we know that he has that kind of clutch gene. I mean, we can't quantify it. It's not really a thing. 
but he's hit some of those really big home runs and big moments. And that even goes back to the postseason last year and Max Muncy. I mean, I will take a guy with outstanding plate discipline any day of the week. And I really think that that's the type of slow heartbeat and approach that really helps a team in October. And I think he has the ability to really change the tenor of a game. So I think that's a really, really big plus for them. And Trey Turner, I mean, the Dodgers have not had a postseason with Trey Turner on the roster yet. And you've seen how he has the ability to really change a game with his speed and just everything that he does. I know at second base, there's some questions, everything else, but I think in the field, I mean, he's hitting, what is he hitting now? He's hitting 338. I mean, he's going to run away with this batting title and he's the fastest player on the team. And I don't think there are a lot of other teams that have a player like that. So I really think that changes the game for them. So I will uh, throw that back at you and say there are a lot of reasons to be positive. I understand. I know how fandom works. And I will say my mother is a huge Giants fan and she has the exact same approach. I was getting texts last night about how (laughs) the Giants have shown how you can win 106 games and still stink. So I know exactly (laughs) how fandom works. And it's amazing that it's going on on both sides. I mean, these teams are having historic seasons and fandom is an amazing thing and I love it so much but I think even despite maybe those questions in the outfield with Bellinger and Betts there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this team look I'm ecstatic that the Dodgers got Trey Turner but I do not understand how the Nationals traded that guy is it as simple as they just did not want to pay him I mean what's going on with the Nationals do they have money issues I, I this is the one thing that drives me insane about these baseball organizations with revenue sharing their resistance to spending money. And I, I feel bad for the fans of Washington, D.C. They just won a World Series two years ago, and now their team's in a complete rebuild. How why did the Nationals trade Trey Turner? Well, I think that, you know, they're definitely trying to rebuild the team. They definitely had a handful of holes across the roster and they need to, you know, change that approach. But I think it comes down to trying to pay Juan Soto. I mean, Juan Soto is probably going to get the largest contract we've ever seen in North American professional sports. I mean, I saw a projection from Spotrack the other day, which was in the $500 million range. And I think that is completely justified. He is the best hitter in baseball. He is 22 years old. He is absolutely outstanding. And I think a lot of those decisions came down to that. And if you're building around him, he is still so young that you can be building for a couple of years down the road. And, you know, Trey Turner may not have exactly fit into those plans, but, you know, we'll see what all happens there. But I saw that as uh, very much based on you know, looking at that roster, trying to figure out how on earth they can figure out an extension for Soto that makes sense and that they can fit in their payroll. You mean future Dodger Juan Soto? (laughs) Tell me, tell me the truth, Sarah, who says no in this deal, Cody Bellinger and Gavin Lux for Juan Soto. I mean, I think the nationals say no, I, Gavin, I, I like a couple of years ago, if you're doing that after 2019, I think that could happen. But with how Bellinger has played, you know, the last two years and especially this year and what we've seen from Lux, where we're still waiting to see that absolute top prospect kind of moment out of him. 
I, I don't think, I think the nationals would say yes there. And that at, further adds to the despair of one, uh, one Juan Ramirez one, by the way, just to, uh, to give you a little bit of optimism. Uh, the last time that the giants lost back-to-back games at home, it was three weeks ago against the Padres. Juan Toribio shout out, uh, for that stat friend of the, uh, the podcast and Sarah Langs is, uh, a colleague and uh, Sarah Lang still here with us for a few minutes. Uh, Sarah, I had a question for you um, of, of all the teams in the NL, the, the Cardinals, everyone's obviously been talking about them, but who, who really is the clear cut favorite in the national league? Cause I don't think there is one right now for being hundred percent honest. I don't think there is one, but I think it's between these two teams we've been talking about with the giants and the Dodgers. I mean, I think the Brewers have, some holes, especially offensively. And I think there are some questions. I mean, you, you've seen them. I know that they're in this situation where they already clinched. So maybe everything is not at full speed, but you've kind of seen that already this weekend in this series. I think the Cardinals are really exciting, but I would not call them necessarily a complete team. And the Braves, I mean, an outstanding season and a testament to Brian Snicker and his managing and everything else that they are here winning the National League East without Acuna, without Soroka, and with a lot of different, uh, you know, injuries that they've had all throughout the year. But I don't see them as a team that's going to compete for that pennant necessarily. So I think you come to the NL West and you come to these two teams. And I really don't know. I mean, I do think the Dodgers are the most talented team and I do think they are the deepest team, but you know, we're looking at a difference of one win right now and it could be tied at the end of today. And, uh, you know, I think that people default to the Dodgers because of expectations, because of what they did last year. And they're having amongst, I think it's the best season by a defending champ uh, by wins or it may be second. And if they win today, it would be most, but regardless, we haven't seen a team do this after winning a world series. I know it was a shortened season, but everything else, but the giants are still such a question mark to a lot of people because we didn't expect them entering the year. But I think it's between these two teams for sure. And, and with that, so if you, again, I'm just, I'm just going to throw it out there. Who do you think wins the World Series? They go through all the BS. They do the whole thing. Who wins the World Series in your eyes? I'm. I mean, I assume I'm going to be asked for picks at some point in the next 24 hours, and I'm picking the Dodgers. I mean, I really think that this team is so complete. I know there are issues. I know there are issues with Bellinger and Betts and everything that we've talked about here, but maybe it's the fact that I tend towards what I know uh, with the Dodgers and the fact that the Giants are that kind of question mark. But I really think it's going to be whichever team from the NL West gets out of the NLDS round. The reason I asked that question is because I figured that was going to be your answer. So I was trying to put Juan at ease a little bit because I can see, I see the concern on his face. He's a, that's, that's a concerned man right there. That, uh, that is the ease. I wouldn't say he's, uh, he's, uh, running himself into the ground, but he's running himself into the ground. And that's, uh, that, that's why I just wanted you to hear that, buddy. Thanks. Appreciate it. I mean, Sarah, are you, are you, I know you went to school in Chicago. Are you from Chicago? Uh, I'm not, I'm actually from New York, but I love Chicago. I miss Chicago. So did you grow up as a Met fan or a Yankee fan? I grew up as a Mets fan. So you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> You're just expecting the worst to happen, right? I mean, 
I'm sure that, that was cold I blooded, mean, by the way. That was super cold blooded. I look if she was a Cubs wrong. fan, if she's a Cubs fan, I would have said the same thing. You just expect your teams, your teams to do the worst. Um, quick question for you. One of the one of the favorite, not only whipping boys on this show, but in all of Dodger Nation is Dave Roberts. Uh, Sarah, can you talk to me about the job that he's done this year with the number of in- injuries, the expectations? I feel no matter what this guy does, half of the fan base wants to fire him. I know he's not going to get any attention for manager of the year, but isn't what he's doing this year, doesn't it deserve at least some attention? Absolutely. Dave Roberts is an outstanding manager, and I'm glad you mentioned the injuries because that's really what I look to. I mean, quantifying a manager's impact is the most difficult thing in baseball. I mean, other than intangibles, but it gets into that, you know, it's so hard to know. We've seen talented teams succeed. And, you know, the question is, did the manager really do anything there? And then we've seen talented teams fail and you wonder if the manager had any sort of impact there, but there's no question that he is really an outstanding manager. I think he's done a great job in his entire time, you know, with the Dodgers. And it is funny because he doesn't get all that much attention when we get to manager of the year. And I think it's because this team is always expected to succeed. And, you know, we tend to see manager of the year go to the team that surprise people the most and then also succeeded you know and it's Gabe Kapler I mean it it should be Gabe Kapler because we did not expect this team to win more than maybe 75 games and here they are with 106 wins entering Sunday but the job that Dave Roberts has done with all you know just all of these guys who have been injured and the fact this team as you mentioned that stretch in April you know the season could have been over then And here they are with 105 wins entering Sunday. I really think that that's where you see the manager's impact. And, you know, I think that he has this steadiness to him and this way of guiding this team that we've seen for so many years now. And I, I, he, he is going to go down as one of these outstanding managers and it's just, it's really great to see. I mean, I, I think that, you know, he doesn't get all of the attention being out on the West Coast and everything else, but absolutely, um, you know, they didn't deal with the Braves level of injuries, but I do think for a team that was expected to run away with the National League, uh, they definitely dealt with their share of road bumps, and you can really attribute the fact that they are here, the fact that they have a chance to still win this division to him and to what he has done guiding this team. So let me push back a little bit here, Sarah, in terms of the Braves, I know the Braves injuries were more to everyday players, but I mean, the Dodgers were throwing bullpen games for like three days out of the week for a good stretch there. So do you really think that the Braves injuries were worse than the Dodgers injuries this year? Well, you know, I don't have it up right now, but there's a great uh, place on uh, baseball prospectus that basically quantifies, uh, projected uh, war for the season and what percentage of that projected war the team lost out on due to injuries. And I believe that the Braves were ahead of the Dodgers in that last time I checked. I mean, Mike Soroka is really the one I look to because they were expecting to get him back in April. And, you know, people may forget how great he was in 2019 as a rookie, but, you know, he got that one uh, first place vote 
uh, for Rookie of the Year that kept uh, Pete Alonso from being unanimous. And I thought that was justified. I mean, he had an outstanding year for that team. And they were really expecting to have him back. And the fact that they didn't have him, uh, you know, was out for two or three months, I want to say, after really establishing himself. And Ronald Acuna Jr. was making his case for the best player in baseball. And to lose him, I just think that that is more impactful than some of the other Dodger some of the other Dodger injuries, but both of these teams uh, were obviously uh, dealing with dealing with a lot. That's not to minimize uh, the injuries that the Dodgers had. I just think that losing Acuna would be, you know, I, I guess that's akin to Cody Bellinger having a really bad year, but at least Bellinger was still around and he missed some time, but not all of it. And of course, even the time that he missed, he wasn't performing like, best player in baseball, Cody Bellinger. See, and that's the kind of objectivity that you get on this show, as opposed (laughs) to other shows that have a bunch of homers on them. Uh, Sarah, since you already told me that the Dodgers are going to win the world series and you've put me at ease, I want to skip to the off season because I think the Dodgers are going to have a lot of question marks. And being that we live in Harry Potter land, we're going to talk about the man who we can't mention his name. Uh, Trevor Bauer, I think this situation is going to get very ugly because I think the Dodgers are going to fight to get out of that contract. Is that what everyone in Major League Baseball is expecting, that it's going to get ugly? Is there any way that Trevor Bauer goes back into that Dodger uh, locker room next year? You know, it's really hard to say. Uh, and, uh, you know, as you're alluding to, we, we sort of just haven't heard about him now for a while. It feels like at least a month, a month and a half, um, other than his leave being extended. You know, there hasn't really been much discussion, but I'll say that from where I sit and again, you know, not with any special info, but just based on the reporting that I've seen doesn't feel like he's going to pitch another game for them. Um, you know, and we'll see what happens. I know there's still proceedings to go on and there's a lot more. And of course, as we've seen with other cases like this, there's kind of two separate, um, two separate things going on. There's whatever's going on legally. And then there's the fact that major league baseball may make a decision that doesn't even necessarily, um, have anything to do with what is going on in those legal proceedings, right? Uh, they have the ability to make a decision, even if he is not charged with something, those kinds of things. So, you know, it, it's hard to know exactly what will happen, but I will say that the way I've been approaching it is sort of expecting that he's probably thrown his last pitch with them. But again, I don't know that for sure. I have no idea what they are thinking or what sorts of rulings might come down. That's just kind of what I've gleaned from seeing what the Jeff Passons and Ken Rosenthal's of the world have been reporting. So, Sarah, let me follow up with you. So I'm going to hear I'm going to make you speak for everyone in Major League Baseball media. But the reluctance to speak about him, is it because the bosses have told you guys we can't talk about it until everything comes in? Because the way Major League Baseball's domestic violence policy is written they don't need to press charges against him in order for Major League Baseball to take action on it. I mean, can't we say the least the least that we can say about Trevor Bauer 
is that he gets off on beating on women. Isn't that the least we can say? And it seems like everyone has stayed away from this topic. Well, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but I can say that, I mean, you guys are familiar with my work and what I do, and I, I put stats out there and analysis, and I really do just talk about what's going on on the field. So uh, this would never have really been under my purview. I mean, I, I don't um, have the kind of sources or the, those kinds of conversations where I would be reporting uh, what might be going on next uh, in something like this. So uh, certainly nobody has told me to do anything or not do anything. It's just that uh, there's nothing to say about him because he's not going out there and striking out 10 and not walking anybody or doing anything else like that. And speaking of something that's under your purview, uh, I'm curious because this is also an offseason question. The NL Cy Young Award race is, is, is kind of gnarly. There's two Dodgers in there, so that's why I obviously have to bring it up. Uh, right. Walker Buehler, Max Scherzer, in whom my opinion, Max Scherzer may be the best deadline. The, the, the Scherzer Trey Turner deal may be the best deadline deal ever, but that's still yet to be uh, sorted out. But also of relevance, Kevin Gosman's in the mix for that. And uh, one Corbin Burns, who, uh, who was pulled yesterday to keep his ERA low. Who uh, In the AEL, I'm pretty sure it's Robbie Ray that's getting the Cy Young. Uh, it's, if it's not him, it's Garrett Cole. There's, there's, it's really nobody else out of those two guys, but in the NL, who do you think is, uh, who do you think is walking away with that one? This is impossible. I am so glad <laughs> that I don't have a vote uh, in this one because I have no idea what I would pick. I mean, I was so dead set on, it's going to be Max Scherzer. And, you know, he's going to become the second guy to win the Cy Young in a season where he changed teams joining Rick Sutcliffe in 1984 and then he had those last two starts and, you know, it, it doesn't a September start in the, in the conversation for Cy Young does not mean anything more, but we know that recency comes up in terms of how voters go and what we see happening here. And I know that Corbin Burns, you know, all that happened last night was with regard to his ERA or whatever else, you know, just give him a short start to get him ready for the postseason. But if you look at his numbers, I, I do think I'm expecting Corbin Burns to win. And I think if I were asked to rank them, I would put him number one. But it's so, so close. And of course, Walker Bueller, great season. Zach Wheeler, great season. Kevin Gossman, Brandon Woodruff. I mean, we could have two teams with two guys finishing top five. I think that's really realistic with Scherzer and Bueller and Burns and Woodruff, which is really, really cool just to think about how, you know, the concentration of pitching in the National League. But it's amazing how the National League has probably six or seven guys where if you told me you were ranking them top three, I would not even bat an eye and be like, yeah, that makes sense. Whereas in the American league, it's pretty much set. I mean, I know Robbie Ray did not look great in his last start, but neither did Garrett Cole, but it's pretty much just between those two guys. So it's really interesting to look at that split across the leagues as well. And I think you're hundred percent right. I actually think Corbin Burns is going to win it. I know Dodger fans that listen to this, we are a Dodger centric podcast, <laughs> but anyone that knows that listens to this, I don't give a damn about that. And, uh, and I think Corbin Burns wins it. And it's literally, I think Walker Beeler is the second, the second in, in the race. And it's literally by peanuts, you know, as far as like, when you look at the numbers and we haven't even talked about one Zach Wheeler, we haven't even talked about Brandon Woodruff of the, of the Brewers. So, I mean, there, there's, you know, even Wade Miley could be thrown in, in some of some of that stuff before the injuries and whatnot. But 
I digress because I think it's it's Corbin Burns, no battle. And I know some people are pissed about what he did yesterday, but you know what? To your point, you got to, you got to, you know, kind of take the rust off, if you will, rip the bandaid off before you go into the postseason because he's going to have a few extra days of rest. Definitely. And, you know, the Brewers, I really think the Brewers deserve a lot of credit for the way that they manage the, you know, ramp up from 60 games to 162 games this year. You know, it was a very popular conversation topic in spring training. How are teams going to manage this with their starting pitchers? These guys did not throw very many innings last year, and now they're going to be expected to throw 150 plus up to 200, however many innings it might be. And the Brewers actually had, this was as of a couple of weeks ago, but I'm going to assume it's still true. The most starts on six plus days of rest uh, just across the majors. So just for anybody who is keeping track at home, four days of rest is the normal. That's if you're going on a normal five man uh, rotation, you often get a lot of starts with five days of rest as well with off days and stuff like that. So four and five is kind of the normal. Six plus is just doing a little bit more, a little bit more rest. And very early on, it became clear that the Brewers were giving their guys Woodruff and Burns and Peralta just a little bit more rest here or there. And I really think that was with an eye to the postseason if they were to get there and also to the health of these pitchers. And I know that they've had some time on the injured list. Burns spent some time there and Peralta as well. But overall, they've stayed predominantly healthy and they've stayed at that same elite level throughout the year. And I really think that that's a credit to Craig Council and whoever else in baseball ops, you know, kind of came up with that approach. And they've been really unique in that. So I'm excited to see how that helps them in the postseason. And that just kind of speaks even more to the fact of why Burns wanted to get back on the mound, even if it was only for a couple of innings last night, because that series isn't going to start until Friday. Uh, So there's just some time in between and you don't want to get too rusty. Also, as a, as a former pitcher myself, I'm not, you know, upset about any of these preposterous stats either. Like the fact that both, you know, Corbin and Walker have, you know, sub 100, you know, whips and their ERAs are in the, in the high twos, you know, with 200 strikeouts. Hey man, I'll watch that all day. I'm not angry about any of that. And that's before we even get to Max Scherzer. So it's not even fair. Uh, but uh, one last one for me, Sarah, Sarah Langs, uh, joining us for a few minutes here on, on, uh, on, on baseball Christmas, as I call it day, uh, mm-hmm. day 162. Um, Sarah, what, what do you think happens? This is a, a three-parter. So I'll just be super simple. What do you think happens with Kershaw? What do you think happens with Scherzer? And what do you think happens with Corey Seager this offseason with the Dodgers? Great, great questions. I think that, you know, that Clayton Kershaw presser and everything he had to say after being removed from that game the other night with injury, it was just so upsetting. I mean, I have been such a fan of, you know, I, I, in what I do, obviously I'm objective, but I'm such a fan of people and I'm such a fan of players and storylines and everything that Clayton Kershaw has done when he finally won the world series last year and everything else. I mean, it's just so easy to root for him and root for his success. And to hear him saying that, you know, I think we have a great team and I'm so bummed. I won't be able to be a part of it in October. It it was just so heartbreaking to see that. So it, it really felt like that is a player who was headed for some sort of surgery. And again, that's not reporting. I have no idea, but you know, we know that these players know their bodies. And I tend to think that when they come in with an approach like that, 
they know something is pretty wrong. So I don't know if that would be the type of thing where he might be missing the entire year next year. I don't really know, but I'm kind of inclined to believe that, you know, he has a chance to be part of the Dodgers as long as he would want to. Um, you know, I know that when he opted out a couple of years ago, people were talking about, you know, going to the Rangers, going home, being from Texas. But I think at this point, he's a Dodger. And if he wants to be a Dodger for the next two years and potentially recover from a surgery and then come back, I think he would be given that option. Um, you know, I think everyone would kind of like to see that. Uh, as for Scherzer, I mean, I think that what happens with Max Scherzer is going to depend a little bit on what happens with the Dodgers this postseason. I think if the Dodgers win the World Series, I really think Scherzer would just go back to the Nationals. I really think that his connection with Mike Rizzo um, and everything that he's built in D.C., that he would like to kind of just finish his career there. It really seems like that's the kind of situation where even though he was traded, um, you know, there's no ill will there and there's no reason that he wouldn't want to just go back there. But I do think if the Dodgers get close but don't win the World Series, that we could see that competitive spirit kind of, um, you know, changing the calculus for him. And he might want to be on the team that would be a contender next year. And especially if Kershaw is injured and everything we're talking about with Trevor Bauer, I mean, I think the Dodgers would be smart to try to re-sign him. And he's an outstanding pitcher, even at age 37. He'll be really great at age 38 as well. And uh, they would certainly be well served to have him next year if he would want to. And as for Corey Seager, I mean, it, it really seems like he's going to be Yankee. Um, you know, it seems like when the Dodgers made that trade and got Trey Turner as well, that that was kind of the end uh, for Corey Seager on the Dodgers. I, I don't know anything uh, for a fact, but, uh, you know, Trey Turner would be better served to be playing shortstop for sure. And I do think that the Yankees are going to be in the mix for all of these shortstops who are going to be free agents after this year. Glaber Torres got moved back to second base. It's very clear that they need a shortstop. And I think that Seager and Trevor Story are the best shortstops probably on that market. Correa also really good, but I don't think the Yankees would sign him uh, given the Yankees Astros history and everything else. So I think it just comes down to Story and Seager. And I think that Seager is probably perceived to be the best and the best potential future talent. Um, and the Yankees tend to get what they want in that respect. Thank you for also validating me. And for the record, that's a point because I've been saying Trevor's story and Corey Seager, the class of this class. Thank you very much. My friend, there we has go. A question for you. Hey, Sarah. So we're, we're going to wrap things up here with the way we usually end all our shows, but I just have a quick question for you before we do that. Uh, being this is, this is a perfect person to ask this question because you're all about stats in your Cy Young conversation with Alonzo. Julio Diaz's name didn't come up. Now, Julio won his 20th game uh, last night. I do not subscribe to this area. I don't think Cy uh, Julio should win the Cy Young, but everyone else, uh, especially all my paisanos, are convinced that Julio is the greatest pitcher that ever lived and should win the Cy Young. Now, the issue is the cat, the win, the, the stat of the win no longer really matters. Everybody that you guys were talking about, the reason why you guys were focusing on them is their ERA and their whips. How did the win stat just become 
a thing of the past, something that is no longer important. I mean, we've had Cy Young winners in the past when, I mean, Corbin Burns has what, 11 wins and he might win the Cy Young. How did you statisticians allow this to happen, Sarah? Tell me. Well, I can't take too much credit or blame because I think that this started probably long before I was really even part of this industry, but I think it just comes down to what a pitcher can control. I mean, Jacob deGrom is the perfect example of it. You know, he had the fewest wins of any pitcher to win Cy Young in a normal length season, all of that. Um, I think that was with his 2018 win um, and or maybe it was in 19. Uh, but either way, he won the Cy Young in back-to-back years without winning very many games. And you guys know, I mean, a, a large part of why Julio Urias has 20 wins is because he's on the Dodgers who have 105 wins, right? And they have a great offense and they are a great team. And that's not to take away from him. I mean, he's had an outstanding season. He will absolutely finish within that top 10, but I do think there's a difference. I mean, if you look at other stats, the things that he can control, the things that he is doing on the mound, they're not necessarily in that Burns and Wheeler and Scherzer category. He's still been great. There's no question. But the other thing is that, you know, we tend to look at guys who really dominate with strikeouts these days, and that's not really what he does. So I, I just think that puts him in a different category, but I'm not trying to take away from his season. And the other thing I'll say with wins is that they still matter a lot to the pitcher. I mean, we heard that from him last night when he was talking about this being a dream of his and, you know, being able to win 20 games in the big leagues. And I never want to have the conversation about wins not mattering take away from how much it matters to the pitcher. And I've heard that across the board for a, from a number of pitchers who, whether they've had high win totals or not, you know, it, it matters for them and it matters for what they look at on their stats. And I don't want to be, you know, I want to be sensitive to that. Obviously that matters. I mean, these are the guys who are going out there, putting themselves out there and having these performances. But I just think that when you're evaluating a player, he can't control it, you know? And ultimately I think that's what it comes down to. I mean, Corbin Burns, the part of the reason he has 11 wins is, you know, his team was not scoring all that many runs for the first part of the season. So a lot of times he would go out there and uh, allow a run or no runs and leave in a tie game, you know, and that's not something that he can be controlling. So that's really what I see as the difference there. But I, I know that, People certainly with him winning 20 games, which we hadn't seen from an NL pitcher in a couple of years, uh, you know, the conversation about wins is uh, is back again. Absolutely. And this is why we wanted Sarah on the show, because she keeps it real. Any of my BS nonsense questions, she just slaps me in the face and tells me how it really is. Uh, Sarah, so real quick. With what the Giants did now this season next season they're going to have a lot of money freed up they have farhan over there who obviously knows what he's doing personally i know jace tingler is taking the blame for what happened with the show pods i i really don't i think the injuries really caught up with them in the second half of the season everybody's gonna say i mean there's theories out there that that clubhouse imploded I mean, and people are pointing the finger at that these, which I don't agree with. The guy played hurt the whole season. The guy's out there. And for people to say that he's all about himself, I, I just don't get that. I think the show pods are going to be there next year, too. Is this window of the Dodgers dominance of that division 
now closed and now we're going to be in a dogfight for the next few years with these other teams in the National League West? You know, it's a really good way to put it. I, I do think that the years of them winning the division by five or 10 games might be over for a bit. I, I completely agree with you that the Padres are going to be in it next year. Injuries were a huge part of it. I do think they need to make some pitching uh, improvements for sure. But across the board, I mean, that offense is so good. Fernando Tatis Jr. is a top player in this game. Manny Machado is really, really good. And I don't see any reason they won't be in contention next year. And it really does feel like the Giants are going to be in this new window that they've created for themselves as well. So I think the years of the Dodgers winning the division easily might be over, but I don't see any reason the Dodgers won't win the division next year. Just, you know, sight unseen, not knowing what'll happen. Um, But there's no reason they wouldn't necessarily, but I do think it'll be closer. I mean, I think we have three teams here that could really be good for the next, you know, two, three years. Okay, I promise we're going to let you go, but uh, this one just crossed my mind, and I really want to get your opinion on it. Are we going to see a work stoppage next year? You know, I really have no idea there. Um, I, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of reporting on what all might happen um, over the last few months. I'm sure that all of that will go into hyperdrive as we get to October and approach November, but Um, you know, I, I really have no idea at this point. Are you hopeful? I mean, these two sides hate each other. Are you hopefully can avoid it? I'm always hopeful for baseball. (laughs) I always want to watch baseball. So, uh, you know, I'm hopeful for that, but, uh, you know, we'll see what all, what all happens. Okay. So now we're going to end the show the way we always end it. I know you're a New Yorker, so I'm very curious. Are you a fan of tacos, Sarah? Like. Yeah, of course. Okay. Can you get good tacos in New York? And if you can, I need to know what is your favorite taco and where do you go in New York to get tacos? Oh, you know what? Okay. So our MLB.com offices moved this year or moved last year, but they used to be in Chelsea market. And there was this place called, I want to say it's like Los Tacos number one uh, Uh in Chelsea market. And so good. So good. Like they give it to you on a paper plate, which makes no sense at a place that like if you've been to Chelsea market, like everything is given to you all packaged and neatly because there's nowhere to sit and you're going to need to find somewhere else to eat it. But they just hand it to you on a paper plate, which to me just like tells you that it's legit and really good. <laughs> um, and I'm vegetarian, so obviously I'm not going to have like the suggestion of which one to get um, that uh, everybody else probably would. But what I love with vegetarian tacos is when they have the nopales, right? Oh, yeah, that's my girl right there. And that's when I know that a vegetarian taco is legit. Like you give me these mushrooms or whatever else, like nopales are so good. I love that taste. And it's so unique. So they had those there. And those are the probably the best ones I've had in New York. Well, next time you come out here to L.A. to cover the Dodgers, Sarah, you go to a place that's not that far from the stadium. It's an Atwater village called Tacos Villa Corona. Todd Lights, the public address announcer at the Dodgers, recommended this place to us. They have fantastic taco de nopales. I mean, nice. they're small, so go ahead and get yourself, you know, three or four. I mean, <laughs> but they are so good. And I also recommend their tacos de papa. Their tacos de papa are fantastic. I actually think those are their two best tacos. Nice. I will keep those in mind. Now I'm hungry. Now I need some uh, lunch before game 162 here. 
Well, and that's why I'm gonna go. I'm probably gonna go make some nopales and eggs right now, just because that that actually sounds really good. But on that note, Sarah Langs of MLB.com. Sarah, where can uh, where can all the the amateur statisticians find you on the internet? <laughs> Um, I'm on Twitter at Slangs on Sports, S Langs on Sports. And uh, yeah, on Twitch every Thursday, talking baseball, if anybody's uh, interested in hearing that. If uh, if there's one thing that we've talked about as far as whipping boys that once it earlier, baseball ha- has a knack for uh, getting in their own way about stuff. But uh, they did they did game 162 day right. You know, having every game start around 3, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, on the final day of the regular season, that's a big W. So uh, huge kudos to MLB for doing that. And on that note, we will pay attention to Sarah Lang's prediction of the Dodgers winning the 2021 World Series <laughs> and uh, Corbin Burns winning the Cy Young and coin flip in the AL for those two top dogs. Sarah, thank you so much for making the time on such a hectic day. And, uh, and we will catch you down the road. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is a lot of fun. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Sarah. And there you have it. Sarah Langs of MLB.com. You can check her out on the Twitter machine, like she said. Uh, she's a great follow, especially if you're into the uh, just kind of the, the realness and the pureness of of data in the game and also all things that are fun with the game. Go check her out on Twitter. Great follow. And, uh, and again, huge thanks to Sarah Langs and, uh, and huge thanks to you guys this year because if it wasn't for you guys that subscribe and follow us and all that great stuff, there is absolutely no way that we would have had the guest list that we had this year, that we would have had the uh, kind of exposure that we've had this year, if you will. And so we really, really thank you guys, and we really appreciate you guys. Uh, you know, we're going to be doing some stuff for the postseason, so it's not goodbye yet, uh, you know, at least until the next year. But for the time being, uh, we're going to be doing those postgame shows uh, here and there. And uh, hopefully we can do a bunch of them leading up to the World Series and fulfilling Sarah Langs' prediction of the Dodgers winning the 2021 World Series. But only time will tell. But on that note, again, huge thank you to you guys. Uh, if you haven't, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. Really, really appreciate it. It'll help us with our guest list for next year as well. And, uh, and you know, follow DodgersBeat.com. Follow myself at the bean 818 and follow uh, Juan at Blue Revolt Film uh, on the Twitter machine. Give us a follow. You know, we'll still be interacting. And uh, like I said, hopefully we can do a bunch of postseason shows between now and then. But until the next episode of the Bleed Los Podcast, huge thank you to you guys. Great season. Let's go get them in the postseason. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Please subscribe and leave a review to the Bleed Lows Podcast. The Bleed Lows Podcast is a Dodgers Beat production. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.